In Assassins, John Wilkes Booth sings, Hunt me down, smear my name, say I did it for the fame. What I did was kill the man who killed my country. Stephen Sondheim's Assassins is currently running at Lyric at the Plaza until February 26th. We're here at the studio today with Daniel C. Brown, Alex Sutherland, and myself, Hannah Green, having conversations with producing artistic director of Lyric Theatre of Oklahoma, Michael Barron, actress Natalia Furch, and Lori Finley with Oklahoma City University's Counseling Services to discuss what it takes to make a murder. This is Season 3, Episode 2, Mind Over Murder, and my conversation with Michael starts now. live in the WOCU studio in the basement of Oklahoma City University's Gold Star Building. I'm Hannah Green, and I'm here with the producing artistic director of Lyric Theatre of Oklahoma, Michael Barron. How are you doing, Michael? I'm good, Hannah. Thanks for having me. Of course. We're happy to have you here. So we brought you here to talk about your production of Assassins, which just opened the 2017 season for Lyric Theatre of Oklahoma. Tell us why the season opener, why Assassins now? Sure. Um... I actually chose it last year before the election, so um, I did not know if Trump or Clinton <laughs> was going to win or who the candidates were going to be. Um, but I did purposely schedule it to open three weeks after the inauguration mm-hmm. because I knew the presidency would be on people's minds. Um, it's one of my favorite musicals. Of course, Sondheim is always worth doing. And um, this is one of his more difficult shows for sure. Certainly one of his most... Um, obtuse because there's no uh, clear plot throughout. It's more vignettes. And so if you're ever going to do Sondheim, particularly at Lyric, which is known for more summer fair, um, but the plaza is a, a much you know more trendy, cool, right. artsy place. Um, but if you're going to do Assassins, I think this is, this is the right time. And lo and behold, it seems like it has it has been the right time because it's selling great, and we're having post show discussions, and people are staying, and um, it really it's doing what I wanted to do is I wanted audiences to talk about the content of the show as opposed to whether they thought it was good or bad because everything we do is good. <laughs> I think. <laughs> well, and speaking of the content, you've for most of us who know Assassins right now, we're more aware of the 2004 revival that was on Broadway with Neil Patrick Harris. Because and you weren't alive for the original production not, 27 years ago. I was not, unfortunately. But I'd like to talk about... Um, I was in college, your... just so you know. I was in college for the original. Oh, you were? Yeah. So was that your first experience? Um, was that your first, uh, I guess, experience with the show? Did you hear it in college? Sure, I did. I was at Wake Forest in North Carolina, and I remember the uh, CD... Mm-hmm. That's what they had back then, CDs, came out. And um, it was totally fascinating to all of my theater classmates, particularly. Um, none of us got a chance to see it because it ran off-Broadway at Playwrights Horizons mm-hmm. in a theater that seats, I believe, 100, maybe 150. It had an orchestra of three, and um, but uh, you know a pretty uh, well-established Broadway cast. And then from that production they recorded this album and um, they did full orchestrations and had a full orchestra with every intent going to Broadway. And it didn't because the Gulf War broke out. And um, believe it or not, um, artistic people often are not responsible for what happens on Broadway, but producers are with money. And the producers that usually would back a Sondheim show felt that even this show was too risky to um, invest in and that it would never make its money back. And they 
uh, Candid for the time. So after a few years, it was released regionally. Mm -hmm. And then years later, the revival happened at Roundabout. And um, I think it was fairly successful because most theater people, and I did see that revival, most theater people wanted to see it live Mm -hmm. on that kind of scale. Um, But both of those productions were done in a carnival setting. Yeah, so I wanted to talk to you about that. Uh You collaborated with your sync designer, Don Drake, I believe Uh his name is. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about your concept for the show? Sure. Well, um, I did see a carnival version, that carnival version, and I felt that current state of politics is already a carnival and that the show is actually quite um, serious and didn't need that buffer of um, kind of entertainment value. And so um, I thought... Where would the show be? Um, one, what what place would the audience most be able to instantly relate to these people before they got to know them as killers? And I went in my own experience and said, what is the most frustrating place I've ever been that um, where I was frustrated with American bureaucracy? And I find, you know, I'm fairly sane. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, that led me to the Department of Motor Vehicles, um, and particularly where I got my license... A few years ago in Virginia, it was it's a horrendous half day ordeal. Was that when you were the uh, associate director at Signature? It is. Mm. Uh, you've done your homework. I have. Uh, <laughs> it was, and it, but it's pretty it's pretty horrendous. And so for me, a fairly sane person, um, to take half half of my work day, I can't imagine someone that um, is lonely, isolated, that also has to be there because it sort of is the great equalizer. Every American, if you want to drive, has to go to the DMV. Right. And so um, by setting it there, I wanted the audience to come into the theater and go, oh, I know that place, um, and not judge the people in it right away. And so everyone walked in, the cast walks in, and um, they're purposely also not dressed in period costumes. They're dressed um, in what we kind of, Jeffrey, my costume designer, we kind of call it 80s chic, 1980s, because <laughs> um, we kind of... Uh, went from John Hinckley, who's the, the last assassin in the show, right. and kind of set it in that period. Um, there's elements, you know, the, the character, that, the actor that plays Booth has a long coat, but on the whole, um, they're not in period clothes. And so um, by doing that, I think um, you look at the characters uh, more psychologically and you don't think of them as being good or evil because I don't, I don't think anyone's evil. I think mm-hmm. people are mentally ill um, and suffer from uh, depression they're angry for many reasons and isolated. And so as the show progresses, I think it's very clear, um, at least it's my hope it's clear, that you see these fairly normal Americans and you see them sort of, f- their, their, their psyche switch into a more extreme place um, so that you identify with them and then you think, oh, I've been mad before. Um, what, what would I do? Would I have done those things or even thought those things if I didn't have a support system around me? Right. Um, there's one thing about the show is that, um, you know, they're all they're all considered losers by society in the show. It doesn't mean they're necessarily losers, mm-hmm. but society has dubbed them that. And um, we're all just lucky that we have a support system. But there's thousands of Americans that have no support system, no outlet for joy or a way to release their anger, and so they jump to extreme extreme actions, extreme thoughts. And, um, you know, when you watch this show, I think it's very, in your mind, you might also think of the Pulse nightclub shooting. You might also think of school shootings. Um, really, any, any person that want, 
that commits an act of violence to draw attention to themselves. Right. So um, I think that's been that's been pretty uh, a pretty great resp- a pretty consistent response from the audience after the show. Um, there's still some audience members that think the show is offensive because not even offensive, but that it glorifies the assassins. Um, and I think those people, from what I, I can gather, they have such personal memories of particularly the JFK assassination that they they don't think it's appropriate to even have Oswald on the stage. Doesn't even oh. they, they they agree they they think the production is well done, the acting's great, the songs are interesting. They just think it's inappropriate that he is he's been given the attention, and that it could foster others. Um, I think that American history has many sides, and you can't ignore, you know, the bad side of American history as well as the good side. And, um, you know, it's a much more complex issue why these why these people did these actions. It's a mu- it's very complex why the the man killed all those people at the nightclub in in, in Orlando. Um, I wish it was as simple as yeah he was influenced by ISIS, but as right. the facts come out, you know, his life was complex, and what led him to that is. Um, something that needs to be figured out and worth figuring out to prevent it, to see it happening maybe before it gets that far. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a, this show particularly as a reminder that the presidency is something very important and serious. And, um, you know, particularly with the, the country as it is now, when you see this show, you know, yeah, things seem in turmoil now, but I can't imagine the country when both Kennedys were shot and Martha Luther King were assassinated. I would have thought the country was over if I had been alive then. Right. So it gets puts things in perspective for what's happening today. Yeah. So that I have a so I'm going to ask you a question. Sure. And you have to answer in six words. Um, I have my fingers out <laughs> to count those words. I'd I'd like you to describe why you chose to set it in this 1980s um, time frame. It was when I remember Reagan. It was when you remember Reagan. Yeah. There's my six words. (laughs) That's a great answer. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Michael Barron, for coming and joining us today. He's the director of Assassins. Assassins runs till February 26th at Lyric at the Plaza. Uh, You can get tickets and check out more information at lyrictheaterokc.com. And, and we have student rush tickets, 18 bucks. We have student so rush come, tickets. Come an hour before the show, and if you happen to be a student, we'll get you in. Right. So, Michael, anything else you need to plug? What's next? Uh, next, we're doing I Am My Own Wife, which is a Pulitzer Prize-winning one-man show um, about a transvestite who lived in um, East Berlin. And um, it's a fascinating tale about uh, what you people ha- have done throughout history to survive. Um, so that's our next show. And when does that open? That opens in March. Well, we look forward to seeing it. And <laughs> we had such a great time having you in the studio today. That was Michael Barron, the producing artistic director of Lyric Theater of Oklahoma. I'm Hannah Green, and the conversation continues after this. We are live in the Gold Star Basement. I'm Daniel C. Brown also known as DCB. Um, I'm bringing you Thank You 10 with WOCU Studios, and I'm here with Miss Natalia Furch, 
who is uh, just opened a show I've heard. Is that correct? Yes. We've opened Assassins at Lyric Theater. Mm. Very exciting. Sounds very intense. And you get to play is uh, Squeaky From? Yes. Lynette Squeaky From. Mm. Yep. That's her name. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, See, this is very interesting to me because... I happen to know Natalia personally, and I feel like she's a very, very kind person. How do you get into the mindset of someone who had attempted to assassinate someone? That's a great question. I It's a very interesting role for me, actually, personally, because I usually play innocent ingenues who, like mm. Cosette or a, a romantic interest who has never seen the world. But Squeaky is very different. I get to swear, which I don't usually do, which is fascinating to me. <laughs> and um, I smoke pot in the form of herbal cigarettes on stage. Very funny story. Um, people, I got, I just had to be taught how to do that, had to know how to hold it, how to, do I inhale? It was a little embarrassing, but people thought it was funny. So anyways, it's a very different role for me, but um, I really think that she's super fascinating because um, she has such, she is innocent when she you look at her, mm-hmm. but she has such a dark history. Like her father abused her, and um, he kicked her out of her house. And then that's when she met Charlie Manson, the mm-hmm. mass murderer who she is in love with. And so I think that she's just a um, really fascinating character with ha- who has a lot of pain, but who wants a lot of the things that we do, like love and affection yeah. and hope. Very much so, so yeah. yeah. It's very important that you bring that into a story. I'm very curious, like, what kind of benefit does that have when you uh, see a show come from the perspective of what most people would view as an antagonist in everyday history? Does, does that have any benefit? Yes, I think that the show is one of a kind in that it's easy to say, well, why should I be watching these people? They um, either killed or tried to kill some of the most important people in history, and um, and their lives are just so opposite than what I would want my life to be. But I think what is interesting is that um, Sondheim and Weidman, who's the uh, writer of the um, book, is they're trying to show that um, these people are created by our country and created um, by our society and that there's this American ideal for um, what reality should be and where we get to have, everyone has a right to their dreams. That's one of the song titles. (laughs) So everyone has this right to their dreams, but for a lot of people, like all of these assassins, they don't get their right to their dream. They want to be loved and they're not given that and they're abused and they're mistreated. And so what do they do? They kill the president. They try to create their own dream and this is their way of trying to act out. So I think it's just trying to see that these people are not monsters, but that we are, we can see each, see ourselves in each of these characters and that we don't get what we want and how do we respond and Mm -hmm. how do we, try to not be like these people, but also um, sympathize with them. Do you see any kind of uh, parallels with any of that behavior and any of those mindsets in, in current times today with current events going on? Yes, for sure. I, I feel so honored that I'm able to um, talk about and be in this show during the political time period right now just with the inauguration. And um, Mm -hmm. our director didn't know who would be president um, when we 
did this election, uh, when we when he chose this show. Right. But um, I just think it's very fascinating. Like, um, it's a complicated issue. I think that a lot of people are angry and upset, and the show tries to discuss what um, anger leads to and what violence leads to and how we can address difficult issues in this area. And I think it's fascinating to apply it to modern times, but it's a complicated issue. <laughs> it's a complicated issue for sure, but I find it really interesting because it's a, it's a musical. It's mm-hmm. like very, you know, yes. like <laughs> it's, it, it seems like the opposite of what you would try to tackle an issue like this with. Yeah, this medium, you know? it's fascinating. It's it's a little. I think it's a little jarring to the audience, honestly, at first. Um, it's it kind of makes you laugh, and I think the audience is a little bit like, "Are we allowed to laugh at this?" <laughs> yeah. But um, I think it's trying to show that these topics need to be discussed, and that it's a it's a difficult balance of being both very serious and shocking, but also like this is real life. Like these right. people are like us. And so it can't really be two hours worth of stunning, serious, shockingness. So there has to be some music and some some laughs because that's what real life is about. You know, it's yeah. it's filled with um, both somber and um, difficult issues as well as the good things too. Yeah, very very well said. Mm-hmm. So you also, Natalia, you have you're in a very special position because you get to work on stage with. One of your professors, uh, Lance Marsh. How is yes. how is that working for you? How how's it seeing the dynamic of who he is as a professor versus who he is as an actor? Working with him on stage is it different mm-hmm. dynamic between you two? Honestly, I'm kind of in awe. I just think Lance is incredible, <laughs> and that I get to watch him perform like ten minute monologues, two ten minute monologues, like every night is amazing. <laughs> and so yes, I. At first, I was like, oh, what's it going to be like? I'm on stage with my teacher. Am I, like, a bro now? Or, like, <laughs> what am I going to do? But um, it's been really awesome. I, I love getting to discuss how he came into the role. Um, one time I asked him, how do you memorize these super long monologues? And he said, one of my teachers said, you know it when you've said it 300 times. And mm. I was a little shocked. Like, wow, that's a, that's quite a few times. But just I think that he is so relatable and I I get to learn so much from him from him and I just I think that it's incredible to see him as a teacher and to see him in the workplace as well. He's just always so kind to our directors and I, mm-hmm. I really think that I get to um experience what that's like in seeing how to act around people and being in a professional workplace. So yeah, it's been awesome. And him towards you, I assume is a different relationship too. I mean, like he probably, I assume he doesn't mm-hmm. come up to you as, as if you're a student <laughs> telling you, Oh, no. mark your beats here, you know, do whatever. No, 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 no. He's, he's always super encouraging mm-hmm. and we always fist pump before we go <laughs> on stage and we, um, it's, it's an interesting dy- dynamic because I'm uh, the youngest girl and... Um, and the whole cast. The yes. Whole, the, there's 10 of us and they're all men except one lady who is um, a teacher at OU. Her name's Lynn Kramer. She's amazing. And she's much older than me as well. But so it's different. It's fun to be with all these teachers and with Lance as well. It's, it's, it's a very different dynamic, but um, it's really fun. So speaking of age differences, mm-hmm. is there something that 
maybe uh, different generations can take away from this show from coming to see it when they come to Lyric to see it? Yes, for sure. Um, we have talkbacks every night after the show oh. where you can stay. It's optional, but you can stay and talk with the director or one of the people with the ca uh, one of the cast members and also our music director who, fascinatingly enough, worked with Sondheim. Incredible. Wow. And he's amazing. But um, uh, you get mostly that's about trying to have the audience be able to talk about these difficult issues and just what they what they experienced and what they um, what they thought about it and it's fascinating because a lot of people one guy said that he had experienced four of these assassinations in his lifetime like lived through them lived yeah lived through them well. not actually experienced but yes <laughs> he lived through them so that's interesting because some generations will know what the JFK assassination or where they were we have a song about um, the different reactions of people um, who experience, who lived through these assassinations. And so some people have and some people have not. And I think that it's interesting there's that side of the generation, but there's also the, my generation who hasn't lived through these things and who, um, I guess it's just a, I feel like it's very shocking to each generation, but also like a way to um, approach it with an enlightened and insightful view. Right. Great, great. So um, we have a tradition here at Thank You 10, and we like to end our interviews with um, a six-word question. And the six-word question, I'm going to ask you a question, and if you could answer it with only six words, that would be wonderful. What I'm going to ask you is, what is the importance of um, the dialogue in which you guys are starting with this show? In six words, if you could sum it up. Heal the cauterized wound in America. Wow, that was very profound. I, I very much appreciate that. Thank you so Thank much you. for being on the show with us Thank today. Thank you so much. Uh, it is Heal the Cauterized Wound in America. Um, so... Thank you so much for being with us, Natalia. Uh, we very much appreciate you, you coming on the show. Uh, if you want to catch uh, Assassins, it will be playing until the 26th uh, at Lyric at the Plaza. And if you want any more information, go to lyrictheaterokc.com. That is Lyric Theater with an R-E, not an E-R after theater. Um, this has been Daniel C. Brown with WOCU, and the conversation will continue after this. WOCU studio in the basement of Oklahoma City University's Gold Star Building. This is Thank You 10. I'm your host, Alex Sutherland, and with me today I have Lori Finley from OCU's Counseling Service. How are you today, Lori? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. I'm so excited to have you on here. So today we will be talking about Lyrics Theater's production of the musical Assassins. This musical uh, does a lot of vignette stories and talks about and the, the lives and stories of famous assassins who have attempted both successfully and non to assassinate some of our presidents. Um, as someone who knows a lot about human psychology, why do you think we're so fascinated with murders and murderers? I think just the fascination with it comes from the unknown. We want to understand, kind of get in the minds of those criminals and things, what was behind the reason that they did it, those types of things. I think we as people 
try to normalize it or try to understand how would someone be able to do that, to kill somebody cold-heartedly. Um, so I think just wanting to understand where they're coming from, how could someone get to that point in their lives where they could take someone's life by their own hands. Mm-hmm. So. Earlier today, we spoke with the director, Michael Barron, mm-hmm. um, who is setting the production in a DMV, and he viewed these people as kind of outcasts of society who didn't really have a support system, family, friends mm-hmm. to lean on. So they kind of drew attention to themselves, drew people to them by committing these heinous crimes. It's crazy to think about something so horrible, yet we're so fascinated, we're so intrigued by it with the you know, the documentaries on Netflix, Making a Murderer and OJ's Made in America, all these things are rising. You know, any behavior, whether it's bad or good, if they're getting attention, then that kind of motivates them or pleases them in order to do that by acting out, killing somebody, then people are paying attention to them. I mean, I think that definitely as a culture as a whole, I mean, seeing it happen more often or it becoming something that we watch more normally on TV, video games, those types of things, violence does become something that is more normal or more okay with society. So I think that definitely the more that we're exposed to it or the more that we see it, the more likely it will be, I guess, considered as an okay behavior to deal with emotions or a way to respond to things. You're, I was doing some research about you, and a lot of your study deals with depression and anxiety and, and the help of college students. How would, you, how would you deal with someone who came up to you as a counselor and said, you know, this is what I want to do. I don't see any wrong in that. How, you know, how would you handle that? Sure, yeah. Well, I think first off, understanding um, what is motivating them mm-hmm. to do that. Um, is it due to, you know, psychosis reasons? Do we need to get them help? Um, Is it due to anger? And this is a learned behavior. This is a way that they have learned to respond because other people have behaved this way. Mm -hmm. Um, Are there other outlets out there that we could get to potentially that might be more effective or productive for them to deal with that motivation as opposed to hurting or killing somebody? Um, But I think definitely... Warning the person that is in danger for sure would be where I would start and to helping them to um, understand their motivation behind it. And if we can figure out a different way to solve that, um, a different outlet for that motivation. Mm-hmm. I think it's good to, I mean, knowledge, I think, is helpful. Mm-hmm. So for those that are out there, awareness, I think a lot of the times that we think by knowing something or by viewing it, those types of things, it will happen more. But sometimes just understanding that I think a lot of the times mental health gets linked with violent clients, those types of things. But that's not necessarily the case. There's a lot of violent people out there mm-hmm. that don't have mental health issues and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it all depends on how it is portrayed in those musicals or in um, movies, those types of things, are the facts there? Or is it portrayed um, untrue? Mm-hmm. Um, so it can be helpful if it's portrayed correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, if it has false facts or false information, then it can, I guess, give information that's false to society, and then they start to have um, beliefs and things that may not be true. Yeah. I think the great things about Assassins is it shows these character or these people as normal human beings mm-hmm. um you look at someone on stage you look at lee harvey oswald or on stage and you know he's kid next door it's like oh that's that's my neighbor that's my boss you know what are what are some good warning signs to look out for so we can not necessarily stop them before they get to that point but you know try and help sure. 
um, prevent things in any way possible. Yeah. Um, one of the most, I think, commonly or recognized um, mental health diagnosis with violence um, or murder, killing, those types of things is um, recognized as antisocial personality disorder. Mm -hmm. So some of those things that we can see in a person like that, blunted emotion, so unable to give um, empathy to others. They mm -hmm. just disregard mm -hmm. feelings. They can't understand or relate. Um, inability to feel guilt or remorse, apathy, indifferent. Um, external locus control, meaning they don't take responsibility for anything, so they see the world as to blame for everything, mm -hmm. so they may be out for revenge or things like that. Mm -hmm. Deceitful, manipulative, charming, um, self-seeking, um, irresponsible, impulsive behaviors, a very high sense of self-esteem or grandiose, irritable or aggressive, but that doesn't necessarily mean that those people you know, if you have antisocial personality disorder, you're going to be a violent person. But those are definitely things to look for in right. individuals that do show violence or potentially have killed other people. Mm -hmm. They've had those characteristics. So awesome. Awesome. Yeah. OK, so this is my question that I have for you that I want you to answer in six okay. words. Um, what good can be done from doing theater and uh, creating art with a negative theme mm -hmm. now what, what good can be done from that mm. I think um, overcoming stigma um, it's realistic um, and awareness to others that, and education about mm -hmm. I mean negative things that we deal with mm -hmm. So overcoming stigma, realism. Mm -hmm. um, awareness. Awareness, yeah. Mm -hmm. And just education, Education. Knowledge. Awesome. Well, Lori, thank you so much for coming out here and talking with us. Okay. My yeah. name is Alex Sutherland. This is Thank You 10, broadcasting from the WOCU studio, and the conversation continues after this. So I'm not exactly sure if we'll ever figure out the psychology that goes behind actually murdering someone, being able to assassinate a president. But we did have a very, very productive conversation. We sat down with Michael Barron, who directed the show. He, when asked uh, why he said it when he did in the 80s, he responded, it was when I remembered Reagan. And that shows a very incredible importance in, in the era alone, just speaking to him enough to be inspired enough to direct the show. Um, along with that, we then sat down with Natalia Furch, the actress who plays Squeaky From. Um, she was asked in my personal own interview uh, what the importance of the dialogue that will be started with this show is, and she responded, it is to heal the carterized wound in America, which was very profound, I thought. Um, we then end ended with uh, Lori Finley, who counsels here at OCU on the campus, we asked her what good can be done from dealing with art with a negative theme. She answered, it's about overcoming stigma. It's realistic awareness education. So we've had a wonderful three guests, and we very much thank them for being on the show, and we thank you for listening. This has been Thank You 10 with WOCU in the Gold Star Basement.
Thank You Tin's theme was composed by Joseph Horak. Thank You Tin was created by Gregory DeCandia and originated at University of North Carolina Chapel Hill Center for Dramatic Art. From UNC to OCU, all three seasons of Thank You Tin are on WOCU.online and available via your favorite podcast streaming service. Thank You Tin encourages you to continue the conversation on our Facebook page or WOCU.online.